you know, so anybody who refers to me as Dr. Hill, you can always tell that they were one of my students. He was like, <laughs> that's all right. I'll take it off. Uh, whatever, whatever title you want to throw at me, usually I will accept that. Turning your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We began a series two weeks ago. Last week we had a special guest speaker, Chalo Kachunga from South Africa. But we're back in gear with our series called Happy. Can everybody say Happy. Look at one another and see if someone's happy. Look at them. Some of them are depressed. Some of them are unhappy. Some of them are frowning even though they think they're happy inside. All right, we're talking about happy. You might think that is a silly name for a series, but I'm going to explain it to you. Happy. These are eight uncommon characteristics of a happy life. Matthew chapter 5, and this was a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and beginning in verse 3, the scripture says, blessed, Jesus' words, by the way, right? Written in what color? Red, thank you. Read the red. You'll never get in trouble. Read the red. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These make up the verses that we commonly refer to as the Beatitudes. It was a part of a larger message called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered to his disciples who were numbered in the hundreds of thousands who had gathered together on the mountainside that day to hear the words of life from Jesus. But these specific verses here, from verse 3 through verse 10, refer to what we call the Beatitudes. What are they? Notice, first of all, they're aimed at his followers. So if today you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then these are aimed right at you. And they describe eight steps towards living a blessed life. Characteristics, and I personally believe they're in a sequence. They're in an order. And so the first rung of the ladder is what we're talking about uh, two weeks ago, and even today I'll finish it up. What it means to be blessed are the poor in spirit. And then there is other steps as we climb up and we become those happy, blessed Christians that God wants us to be. Now, it might be interesting to you just to remember, those of you who weren't here a couple of weeks ago, this is by way of review. What does the idea of being blessed? Blessed are these, blessed are those, blessed are these, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be blessed? It's the word makarios, and it means to be happy, fortunate, literally to be envied. Can you imagine someone that is so blessed that other people look at them and go, Wow, I, you've got something that I want. You have something that's not based on worldly condition. It's not based on your surroundings, but I want what you have. That means blessed, the word here for each of these characteristics, means to be blessed, happy, fortunate, to be 
envied. So how many of you would like to find the characteristics to a completely happy in Jesus life? Would you raise your hand? This happiness is not the happiness that's, uh, that, that is dependent upon what's going on around you. It's not happy because you got a Mother's Day gift, although that would be wise. It's not happy because, because you got to go on a great vacation. It's not happy because all of a sudden your kids obeyed you for one day. It's happiness that has a deeper deeper significance. It's a happiness. It's a spiritual sense of contentment that's based upon our walk with God. And so what I want to do is talk to you today specifically about being poor in spirit. And we'll just read this first verse in another translation. I just got through reading it to you out of one translation, but I want to read it to you out of another one so that you get a good idea of what it means to be poor in spirit. Remember, these eight are attitudes that result in blessing and true happiness. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 says, They are blessed who realize their spiritual poverty, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. The version I read earlier says what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, this isn't talking about how to get saved. He's speaking to his disciples. But he is speaking to us about how to be enriched and blessed in our spiritual life. And he starts off by saying, blessed are who? The poor in spirit. As I noted to you a couple of weeks ago as we started this series, the idea of being poor in spirit is very important to understand what it means. What does it not mean? It does not mean to be in poverty. It has nothing to do with material, physical, or economic desperation. It does not mean economic poverty. So some people use the scripture to say, boy, those of us that are really poor, those of us who have nothing, whoa, we are the blessed of the Lord. Wrong interpretation. All right? Instead, it means a spiritual poverty. You might say, what does that mean? It literally means one who is a beggar. One is so, so poor that you have no resources to come by on your own and you are utterly dependent upon the support that can come from someone else when you're lifting, putting your hand and say, can I please, can I just have enough something for a meal? I am literally a beggar, but it's not talking about physical beggars or or, or because I don't have food, uh, literal food. It's talking about spiritual beggars. You say, well, what in the world can that mean? It has to do with a sense of recognition about yourself that in and of yourself, without God's mercy and grace, you have nothing at all to offer. That you are, I like the word, desperately dependent. That's what I think it means to be poor in spirit. It means I am desperately dependent. How many of you know times in your life where you have, you have come to a point of just for whatever reason, maybe it's circumstances, maybe it's just a spiritual encounter where you've come to a point of realizing, man, I need God. I mean, I need him in my life. And without him, I've already tried my thoughts. I've already tried my ideas. I've already tried my own personal fixes. And I've even tried the ideas that other people come up with. And now I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my game. And I have no other choice, but I must be what? Desperately dependent upon God. I'm a spiritual beggar. When you come to that point of destitute and desperate, 
that results in dependence on God, my friend, you have become poor in spirit. Now, um, the scripture tells us a lot about those of us who find that humble dependence. I love one Psalm, Psalm 146 and verse 5 that says, Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. That's where our total dependence and hope is. So here's what I want to do. I want to help you today to learn some ways to be poor in spirit. All that was reviewed from two weeks ago. All right. So now everybody's called up, right? So here's what I want to do today. I want to spend my time talking about how, how do we become, what does living as a poor in spirit follower of Christ, how does that look like? What does it look like on a daily basis? On a practical level, what does it look like? And, and are there some pathways that I can follow in order that I can be poor in spirit? Because remember what the poor in spirit get? They shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. I personally, my interpretation, I don't believe that has to do with your eternal life. And a lot of people immediately, they read that and go, oh, it has to do with after I die. I believe it has to do with you inheriting qualities and characteristics and benefits that are a part of the rule of God, the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, just like it is in heaven. Doesn't Jesus tell us to pray on earth as it is in heaven? Wouldn't that be phenomenal to be able to tap into heavenly things while we're on this earth? Wow. But a qualification to be poor in spirit. What does it mean? Let's look at four different ways that we can be poor in spirit. Number one, to be poor in the spirit, I depend on God's wisdom, not mine. To be poor in spirit, I depend on God's wisdom, not mine. The scripture says in Proverbs 14, 2, there is a way that appears to be right. To us in our human minds, it looks right. But the end of it is what? Death. One, one version says destruction. Boy, this is, this is such uh, an important verse that describes people today. People are generally at large following a path that they have simply deemed as right. You could have all the human knowledge and all the great ideas that you want and be following a path that is not God's plan and God's will for your life and you think it's all going right and it ends up being what? Destructive, unfruitful, and not good at all. But there is a way in God to live with Him, for Him, by His Spirit. There's a way there that produces life and blessing and fruitfulness. So what we have to do is discover that. Great scripture in James chapter 1, and many of you are familiar with this one, because it's so blunt, it's so direct, as James tends to be. He simply says this, if anybody here just lacks wisdom, now let, can we just pause for a moment? What do we mean when we talk about wisdom? We mean the ability to practically walk out life, not knowledge. Okay, You can take a course and get knowledge, go through a training seminar and get knowledge. Wisdom is how to take that knowledge and actually execute it in life. I've come to the point of realizing, man, I'll take wisdom over knowledge, wisdom over money, wisdom over possessions any day. Because if you got wisdom, it'll open up the door to everything else. Everything else to get wisdom. So wisdom, James says, if you ever lack it, just ask. 
Just ask, and I like this translation, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He's not going to withhold any of you. He will give you, if you sincerely come to him, and the verses following verse 5 say, and if you, if you ask without wavering. In other words, you've got to ask believing firmly in faith, and don't be wavering like a boat on the stormy sea, but you've got to be fixed in your faith. And if you ask, knowing that if you ask for wisdom, God's going to give it to you. He will give it to you. We have to come to a point in our life where we're choosing to depend on God's wisdom and not our own. Now, this is really important. You say, well, how, where, where in the world am I going to find God's wisdom? Well, one place is right here. The Word of God. Because God's wisdom and His will are in His Word. I want to say that again. God's wisdom and His will are in His Word. I hear Christians say all the time, I just don't know the will of God. I wish, how, Pastor, how do I know the will of God? So when was the last time that you really got into God's word? Well, you know, I try to every week. Listen, daily bread, daily bread, daily manna. Don't get condemned and beaten up about it. Just change your habits. You need God's word every day because why? Wisdom is imparted from God's word. If I'm going to depend on God's wisdom and not my own, I've got to walk according to the word of God. It will develop incredible things in your life if you will choose it and follow it. The word of God makes it so clear. When I choose to depend, again, utter Desperate dependence. When I depend upon God's wisdom, that means I'm not depending on my feelings. How I feel about something. Did you know we're, we're, more, we're more emotionally controlled than you realize? Much of the things that we decide to do are based upon a feeling one day or the next. Do you know what I'm talking about? Good or bad. We've got to tap into something greater. God's wisdom is greater. And by the way, as much as I respect the value of getting counsel from other reliable sources, it's not the same. Sometimes as God's wisdom. Compare it with God's wisdom. You know, um, I found this to be so true in my life. And in very, very practical ways. When I first relocated to the Virginia Beach area from Texas, can you tell I'm a Texan? You hear the little twang in there? Yeah. So I'm originally from Texas, been all my life in Texas, and the Lord led us in 1991 to relocate to the Virginia Beach area so that I could get enrolled, get my kids in school, and get enrolled at Regent University to work on a graduate degree. That was the plan. And to leave in three years. <laughs> Here we are. So, how many of you know God's plans are not always our plans? Uh, okay. When I got here, now you've got to remember, I'd been pastoring, preaching, doing ministry stuff since 18 years old, okay? So I didn't have a lot of job experience. I didn't have much of a resume. So I got a friend of mine to doctor up a resume for me <laughs> to make it look like I was qualified to do sales. He said, well, that's what you've been doing, selling Jesus. I went, well, come on, man. So anyway, I took the resume I knocked on a few doors, finally ended up at a Honda dealership to not be, to be named in Virginia Beach and knocked on the door, got an appointment, got an interview with the general sales manager. And uh, he looked at me and said, you really, really, you have absolutely no sales experience at all, do you? I said, 
I said, you read right through that resume, didn't you? He goes, yeah. I said, none at all, sir, but I can guarantee you this. I will give you the best that I have, and God will help me. And he looked at me like, yeah, I've seen your kind before. And he said, I tell you what, I'm going to give you a try. I'm going to give you 30 days to prove whether or not you can do this. And, uh, and by the way, there's no guarantees, no base salary, just whatever commissions you make off your sales. Well, I've got a family now that's like, you know, dependent on some income. I ended up working about three jobs at once at that time, but uh, that was my primary job. So I remember going home, thanking God for a job, and then realizing I know absolutely nothing, not only about Hondas, about automobiles. I mean, Mike, I didn't know the difference between a muffler and a, and, and a battery. I mean, I was totally lost, okay? Some of you know me. Mechanics is not my specialty, all right? So I go through the typical training thing, and I, and I go home, and I remember the first day that I was coming to actually sell. And I begin to pray, and I say, God. I, and I remember quoting James. I've got to have some wisdom here, not just to know about I've done my studies on the product knowledge, but I needed wisdom to know how do I make sales. There were 28 hungry cutthroat salesman on the floor at one time. <laughs> How many of y'all just hate the idea of buying a car typically? Wait, raise your hand. Come on. Oh, y'all know. Some of y'all like to do that. It's a misery. <laughs> I, I hate it now. So going, you know, I'm thinking, how can I get favor with customers with this face and with no knowledge? You know, how am I going to do that? And do you know that God just began to download to me almost on a weekly basis ideas of how I could, even I, to the point of where I stand, where I position myself when the other guys are smoking on the back lot, where I'm going to position myself to see the next customer that came in, how I was to approach them, how I was to approach the, 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 the idea of, of meeting their needs and be people-focused and need-oriented. And I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't have any sales background. God began to download to me wisdom, heavenly wisdom. Do you know within the first month, I'd already talked up a number of sales, and the general manager said, well... Said, I, you know, I know you don't know anything, but you're doing pretty good. You can stay on for another month. Did you know within three months, I was the top salesman in the entire, in the entire uh, the whole company there of selling Hondas. Not knowing anything about used cars, new cars, it didn't matter. I didn't know anything. And, uh, and I just give God praise because it met our needs at that season. You know what I give credit to? The fact that I chose to depend on God's wisdom not mine. How many of you have been there before? And how many of you know it'll work today? We, but we have to depend upon God's wisdom and determine that's how we're going to... If you depend, that's one aspect of the four, of, of doing God, being poor in spirit, and how do we utterly, desperately depend on God as spiritual beggars? We depend on His wisdom, not mine. Number two, I depend on God's strength, not mine. It's really critical. See, our strength, your strength and mine is limited. God's is not. We're fallible. He is not. Uh, some days you have a little bit more strength than other days. But some days you feel like, my gosh, I can barely get out of bed. Some days you feel like, man, I don't have the strength. I don't have something that wells up inside of me that gives me what I need to go to school today. 
or to after work to go and go to school again. I just don't have what it takes. You've got to make a critical decision to be poor in spirit and to depend on God's strength, not your own. Man, there are times that I'm fatigued, exhausted, and I've just found that I've got to learn to depend on God's strength. Psalm chapter 84. I love this verse. In verse 5, it says, Happy are those whose strength comes from you. That aligns exactly with Psalm chapter 5, verse, I'm sorry, Matthew 5 and verse 3. That psalm. Happy, blessed to be envied are those whose strength comes from you. Not those who depend upon their own ability, not those who depend upon their own resources, but those who depend upon the Lord. You all know Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 that talks about trusting in the Lord and renewing our strength. This version says, but those who trust and the word there trust or wait in some translations, those who wait upon the Lord, the word wait there does not mean an impatience, passivity. It means a dependence upon God. The total dependence upon him. But those who trust or wait in the Lord, what? Will find new strength. If I want new strength, I have to depend on the Lord, not myself. The most tempting thing in life is to be self-sufficient. The biggest sin in Christians' lives is self-sufficiency. Self-dependency. That is our greatest sin. If we could simply learn to put that aside and to let our vertical walk with God be the strength, the wisdom, and all things in our life. The Apostle Paul felt faced many, many tragedies, many troubles in his life. And I love when he was talking about struggling through his, what he called his thorn in his side in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. He said this. He said, God, I know it's what you've told me over and over again is this. My grace is all you need, Paul. Just keep your eyes on my grace. And one version says, my power works best in weakness. This is God saying, friend, I know it doesn't make logical sense, but when you're weak, I'm at my best. When you're weak and utterly dependent, I can show you my strength more than you've ever seen before. Friends, I could tell you so many experiences of where I have traveled uh, in different parts of the world and flights get delayed and my good laid plans and well well-configured schedule of making sure that I have enough recovery time for jet lag and, and loss of hours, and I've got time to get my strength back and ready to go full at it, have been sacrificed. I have actually flown into parts of the world, landed on the tarmac, and actually had friends pick me up at the air, at the plane itself, drive the car right up to the plane, pick me up, VIP special, cut through all the traffic, police leading the way all the way to the church because I arrived there just literally at the time the church service was beginning. And have to literally walk out of the car, into the church, walk right up, and then begin to teach and preach and minister. That's why all my African friends have a saying. You say, how are you doing? They always say this, what What a sorry, by God's grace. It's a good answer, isn't it? How are you doing? By God's grace. By God's grace, that's how I'm doing. Because God is saying, my power will work best in your sense of dependence. 
Wow. I know so many times that I have felt that need to just draw from God's strength. I remember years ago, I was ministering daily on a radio talk show. And uh, Monday through Friday, and it was at a time of great busyness, and there was great growth in the church that I was leading. So I was extremely busy and didn't, hadn't figured out how to have a balanced life yet. And uh, so I would go home about 6 o'clock and uh, have a quick dinner with my family, love my boys for a moment, and, and say goodnight to them and rush off to get back to the studio for 8 o'clock show. And the show would go from 8 to 10. At the end of the show, it was a call-in show, and so people would call in for prayer. And so we had phone banks and people were praying for people. And this particular night, I was interviewing someone who had had some remarkable healings in their life. And uh, it was really great. And so uh, every, all, the phone, all the phone counselors have now gone. It's about 1030. I'm locking up the building. Right when I'm getting ready to lock up the doors to the building, to the studio building, the phone rang. And I'm hesitating. I mean, I am exhausted. Any of you, you know, over it. I should have been in bed by now, and I can't believe. And I have literally the key in the lock, and I'm hearing the phone call, and I knew it was someone calling on the 800 helpline, prayer line. I has okay. So I walked back, took the phone call, and it was a lady who said, oh, I'm so glad you answered my call. My, <clears throat> my sister, who I'm staying with, is here, and she heard the program tonight, and she said, wow, if that man, speaking of me, the host, if that man would pray for me, I know I'd be healed. I said, what's wrong with your sister? She said, the doctors have given her a, a, a terminal uh, declaration and diagnosis of cancer. There's nothing that can help her at all. She's, she's dying, and they've given her no hope at all. But she said, after hearing the program, now, if you would come and pray for her, that she knows that she'd be healed. And I went, well, that's great. Put her on the line right now. I'll be happy to pray with her. She said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> She said, you have to come here and pray for her. I said, come where? Was it next door? 30 minutes away. And I said, I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll have my assistant give you a call in the next couple of days, and we'll arrange a time, and I'll come pray. Oh, no. She said, she could die any day. You're not going to put her life literally at risk by not coming tonight. Guilt trip, right? I mean, uh, I'm thinking... Man, I may, I'm feeling torn. My body, my mind, everything is saying, go home, go to bed. And yet there was a part of me that was saying, man, can I really say no to this lady? So I agreed. So I'm driving over there. And, you know, by this time it's 1045. I'm driving over there. I knew it's going to be 1115 by the time I get there. And I'm complaining. I'm murmuring. Y'all ever do that? <laughs> and I'm complaining. I said, man, I'm, God, what am I doing and so God interrupted me about halfway over there and said, you better start praying in the Spirit. <laughs> so I began to pray in the Spirit, thank God. And as I was praying in the Spirit, I just began to feel this sense of infused strength. Paul said in Philippians, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One version says, through the inner man. God strengthens me through the Spirit. And my inner being. Not physical, but on the inside out. So as I was praying in the Spirit, I just felt God's strength come into me. So by the time I got to her trailer, uh, her mobile home, I was pumped. Man, I mean, my faith was built up. I was ready to pray. 
walked in, prayed. Her husband was there. He was an alcoholic. He was lost. I led him to Jesus and asked the sister where her sister was. She said, back this way. Took me to a back bedroom. She's alone in a bed, laying on a bed in total pain. Couldn't even touch her body. I couldn't even lay hands on her because she was in so much pain. She had all these all these uh, tumors on her skin. And, and literally, I could say, boy, she was getting ready to die any day. And she said, just pray for me. Just pray for me. I believe. So I read her a couple of scriptures and, uh, and healing scriptures. And I said, all right, now we're going to pray. I just prayed. I didn't even, wasn't even complicated. It wasn't religious. I just prayed a simple prayer of faith and declared healing over her body. And I said, okay, I'm done. Uh, the rest is up to God. He's the healer. And uh, God bless y'all. And I walked out. That was it. Left my car and walked out. Five years later, someone meets me at the door of a church that I was pastoring in that general area. Meets me at the door, a young man, he shakes my hand, he said, he said, Pastor, he said, I just want to tell you thank you for praying for my mom. And I'm smiling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't want to say, who's your mom? You know. <laughs> so then he said, you probably don't remember, but five years ago, there was a, my aunt called you on your radio program and asked you to come pray for my mom. And I'm all, so that clicks. I'm like, oh, yeah. Now I'm in a fix. Because what do I say? <clears throat> when was her funeral? Well, that wouldn't be the man of faith and power, you know, to say that, you know. I mean, how do I say? And I looked at him, like, uh, uh, you know, and he said, he said, so, Pastor, it's okay. Let me tell you what happened. He said, you know, following the time of prayer, she went back to the doctor, and the doctor said, what are you doing here? She said, go back home and just die. And, oh. and literally, there, nothing we can do. You just have to go home. Time will pass, and, and it'll be over. And she said, but a man of God prayed with me and spoke words of faith over me. And the doctor just looked at her, you know, funny. And she left. A few months later, all of a sudden, she begins to regain strength. So the pain dissipates. She goes back again. This happened three consecutive times. She went back finally to the doctor, having totally regained all of her strength. She was like 80 pounds when I prayed for her. Regained all of her weight back, was feeling great. All the tumors had gone. The pain had gone. She said, now, doc, would you retest me? He did a total re, a t- a retest, and all the cancer was gone. And he, pr- he said, I don't have an explanation for you, but God, something has happened. You are totally well. You are cancer-free. And he said, my mom, still today, we're living in Oregon now. She said, but she is still praising God and knows that it was God that touched her. I couldn't help but think as I went home, wow, what a mighty man of God I am. Man. <laughs> Just kidding. I drove home thinking to myself, I was that close to saying no thanks because of fatigue and exhaustion. I learned to depend on God's strength and not mine. Can I give you number three? I depend, part of being poor in spirit means I depend on God's timing, not mine. Oh, this one's tough. Really, really tough. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. Uh-oh, sorry. Back to three. It says, God has the set time for everything. And I discover that God's time is not usually mine. I want it now. And I think my human perspective, I've got a different timetable than he does. Isaiah 16, verse 22 says, I am the Lord, and when it is time, I will make these things happen quickly. But only what? When it is time. God's time. I've learned this principle. 
We tend to want to work, 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 make something happen. But I've figured this out. When I work, God's waiting. When I wait, God is working. That's dependence. That's an issue of I'm not going to fix this myself. I'm going to rely on God. He's going to get all the glory. But I'm totally dependent on God's timing, not mine. Illustrated in so many ways and so many times. Um, Micah 7, 7 says, I will wait on him to answer my prayers. I think it's illustrated well by our experience. And I'll say this illustration and give you number four and conclude. Uh, when we started this church seven years ago, we just celebrated our seventh anniversary. Uh, for the first two years, we, we, I mean, we were trying to find a place to meet for weekend services, and we couldn't find anything. And we looked, and we looked, and we looked, and we looked. I was frustrated. I was mad. We weren't uh, averaging many people on a Saturday night. And I was like, are you sure, God, you called me to do this? And the Lord just kept saying, wait, wait, wait. Well, finally, two years after we started, we located this building. At that time, it was just empty buildings, and uh, they were for lease, but we had been turned down four times by the owners. Felt moved by the Spirit to ask one more time. And when we did, God intervened and gave us the lease. Um, In hindsight, now I see God's plan. I didn't get it at the time. I was just mad because God wouldn't provide something then. I mean, we looked at numerous properties to lease, but just couldn't find anything. And God's wisdom was this. Wisdom and timing go together, by the way. God's wisdom was this. During the two years, we were saving money. We weren't spending a large budget. But we're putting money in savings. By the time we got the lease, we knew at some day we're going to have to spend a lot of money doing improvements and buying equipment and all this stuff. Uh, we knew it wouldn't be cheap. By that point, we had saved $150,000 in the bank that we were able to say to the owners, who, by the way, were, is, is interesting because the owners said to me, uh, they, they were thinking they're a church. They're only you know, four, two and a half years old. They're broke. They don't have any money. They weren't even sure we could pay our lease. And uh, they said, now, look, you know, if you need to, we can loan you. We can work out a loan where you can pay off the monies for improvements and all this stuff. And I said, I listened to all their stuff, and I could tell they were kind of embarrassed to even offer it. I said, how about this? Why don't we do this, Kevin? I said, how about we just give you a check? Whatever the total is at the end of construction, all the, we'll just write you a check for that amount. And he just kind of looked shocked, looked at his agent, went, oh, yeah, yeah, that would be fine. That would be fine. <laughs> we wrote him a check, totally paid off, and within three months... Money was all back in the account. It was as if we hardly used the money because of God's timing. He had it all figured out. I just wish I wouldn't have been so frustrated for two years. It's always better to choose God's timing. And by the way, sometimes he's an 1159 God. One more point, I'm closing. I depend, part of being poor in spirit, total, utter dependence, right? I depend on God's wealth, not mine. Let me ask you today, where is your security and your source of provision? Where do you put your trust for how your financial and physical needs are going to be met? And it's very easy for us to look at our employer, look at our boss, look at the little company we've started, or to look at your retirement plan and to think that that is your source. Wrong. Those can fail you. You might get terminated next week, God forbid. 
You might, all kinds of things can happen. We don't control our economy. But there is a heavenly economy. And the Bible teaches us that God should be our source. Philippians 4.19 My God will use His wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything you need. Notice it doesn't say greed. But need. There is no lack in heaven. God, as we used to say, God ain't poor. He has plenty. But we need to look at God as our source. Now, your job may be a temporary channel. Okay? Other people blessing you, that may be a temporary means. But ultimately, God is our source. Oh, I could tell you stories all morning long. I won't. So just remember this. If sometime in your own home, if your water stops running... Let's just say, you know, you turn on the faucet, the water stops running, and you, you say, did we pay the bill? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, we paid the bill. Okay. Would you immediately conclude that there's no more water on the planet? Would you start panicking, saying, oh, no, the planet has gone dry. There's no more water on the entire planet, our whole nation, our whole state. There's no more water. Would you do that? No. What would you conclude? There's just probably something wrong in the plumbing or there's something wrong with the outlet water to my house. That's what you would conclude, right? And yet, whenever we end up finding ourselves with lack and need, what do we do? We panic and we question whether or not even God can provide our need. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Blessed to be happy, fortunate, and envied are the poor in spirit. Those who are utterly desperate and dependent upon God. If this morning, one of those four steps towards being poor in spirit, you can relate on a personal level. Would you just raise your hand real quick and say, I can relate to that. Lord, you see my hand? Put your hand back down. I'm going to pray uh, just a prayer to bring conclusion to the message. Brad is going to come and pronounce and declare a blessing over you as a benediction, and then you'll be dismissed. Prayer teams, come forward at this time. If you need prayer this morning, maybe you haven't made a personal commitment to following Christ, make it today. If you have a need for some other area of need, spiritual, physical, economic, whatever it is, God has the answer. Come and allow someone to agree in prayer for you this morning. Father, we thank you that you are our source. You're the source of strength, provision, wisdom, Your timing is always best. And I thank you today that you're developing a people here who are poor in spirit. So, Lord, let us inherit all the blessings of heaven. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Brad, please come. Thank you, Pastor Bobby. Church, would you pray a prayer with me to seal this in our hearts? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, make me a spiritual beggar. Not just when I'm desperate, but every day. Let this be the greatest value of my life. That I see myself as desperately in need of you. For the remainder of my life. 
And I thank you that this is a prayer that you want to answer. In Jesus' name. And now, beloved, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, both now and forevermore in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And as you leave, don't forget who you are. You are a child of God. You are a son of God, your Father. You are a daughter of God, your Father. And you bring the presence of God wherever you go. God bless you.